We'll read three verses from the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians. Verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Let's pray. Father, we uh, earnestly desire to be those that uh, live by every word of God, and Lord, to be those that keep thy word in our hearts and bring forth fruit with patience. Help us to do that, Lord, to be overcomers of hard-hearted hard hearts that lose the word, of uh, shallow hearts that don't endure, of care-filled hearts that don't bring forth fruit. Lord, strengthen us to, in good and honest hearts with patience, bring forth much fruit unto God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to touch a a little bit on the first two verses that we've read and focus and finish, really, on Christ, an offering and sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling savor. But um, the previous verses are something of a backdrop to that. The apostle is directing us to be like God, and he's... um, pointing us to some specifics. And it's a general statement, and it has details. It's a very powerful one. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, right? Forgiving one another. And he directs us to the fountain of this, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I want to think about that. Kind, tender-hearted. And, brethren, this doesn't only apply to our congregation, but to every Christian that you would meet, that you would know. There's this fountain of tender-hearted kindness that dwells in God and through the Holy Ghost in each of his children. And the apostles, right, we've already looked at the facts of the gospel. That if you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, you've been baptized into his death, the old man is crucified, raised to walk in newness of life. If you're born of God, you have this power within. Now walk in it. That's what the apostles say. He wants to educate our minds that our minds might align with the new man and that this life of God would be manifested and free-flowing. One of the glories of the gospel is that it is not like a philosophy or a religion that relies upon our grit to do it. But it is the life of God flowing out of the heart through the mind, emotions, and body of the individual. It does require our cooperation, but it's the life of God. Um, that's the thing. And he's, he's pointing us, be kind. Think of it this way. Think of it as a switch in your soul. 
these toggle switches, right? Flesh or spirit, self or Christ, the Holy Ghost or, or me, however you want to put it. And he's saying in every circumstance, choose Christ. Let it be Christ dwelling in you, not the flesh. Be kind. It's not, huh. I remember, uh, she's a lovely sister today. But she was in the flesh then, trying to be what she <laughs> couldn't be. And I was, I was a young man, very, I was in my teens yet, and doing some practical work in, uh, in her home for her. And uh, I lived in these townhouses, you know, and the, the, um, the walls, you know, you're sharing a wall with your neighbor. And I think I was in the basement pounding away, putting up paneling or something, and the neighbor comes knocking on the door. You know, can't be making any noise. My, my baby, you know, you're waking up the babies, whatever. And she closed the door, and she's like, the nerve of that guy. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd have given him a piece of my mind, all the noise he's made, and so on. You know. That's not the way. So she sucked it up and quenched it and just... Mm-hmm. But inside she was fuming. You see, that's not the Christian life. That's the carnal man trying to be a Christian. And that's not what the apostle's saying. He's not saying, you know, grit your teeth. He's saying, let this, let Christ align your soul with Jesus. Have your, have your conscious uh, person aligned with the life of God. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. And he's showing you how. Right? The apostles, they just, when they were in the flesh, didn't have it. The disciples. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I think the rabbis said three times. They were upping their game to seven. The Lord says, you, you don't understand this. You've got an overflowing heart of love. Seventy times seven. <laughs> Do you think they would have understood it if, uh, you know, you imagine Peter, Philip, that's 22. 491 and we're done. Do you, can you imagine the Lord overhearing that? Seven times a day. It's not, he's not literally saying you count them. He's saying you just have a fountain of forgiveness in your heart. That's the thing. Be kind, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And let's uh, look at a, a parable the Lord told on this. All right. Uh, in Ephesians, he, the passage where it says, And be therefore followers of God as dear children. Look at this parable in, uh, in Luke 15. The parable of the forgiving father. Verse 11 of Luke's gospel, chapter 15. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods. That falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. 
And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say uh, unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his eldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants. And asked what these things meant. And he said unto him. Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed from the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Just keep our fingers there, I just want just stay right there. I just want to read again our passage in Ephesians. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgiving one another. Like God, tender-hearted. Forgive like God forgives. Do you get a picture of how God forgives in this parable? He didn't say, okay, this riotous living, exactly what did you do? That money that I earned by hard work, what did you spend it on? Do you know what you've put your mother through? And some exacting, I want to see you grow up. Look, he saw the boy afar off because he had been watching for him every day. He knew he had to let him go. Father, give me the money now. I want to live it up. I don't care about you. I don't care about mom. I don't care about brother. I want to live for me. What a grievous insult. Now, 
The father knew he'd lost him. So he had to let him go. He gave him. Divide unto them both his living. The older son was dutiful. You know this man had two lost sons. One at home and one afar off. Tender hearted, you see. Kind. He let him go. But in his heart he longed for him every day. It says of David, the king mourned for Absalom every day. This father, (laughs) you don't look up and notice somebody afar off. It wasn't Saskatchewan where you can watch your dog run away for three days. As flat as a pancake, right? You can just, if you've ever driven to Alberta, to Calgary or something, you go through Saskatchewan and, oh, we're almost at the city. And four hours later, you don't know what happened. You're in a time warp. You haven't moved. The city's no closer. You're just driving endlessly. It wasn't like that where you could just look up and, oh, there. he would be on a tower. The, the highest place on his property, looking. How would he recognize him? His height, his shape, his demeanor. Did he have a distinctive walk? Saw him afar off. And he ran. The movement home was enough for the father. He didn't need to hear a grovel. He didn't need to hear. You remember that point. That thing that you did. That really hurt. Let me hear you say sorry for that. There was none of that. right? He had a heart for his boy. He'd forgiven the boy before the boy ever came back. This is how God forgave you and me. For Christ's sake, we'll look at that. This is the manner of it. He's watching for this lost sinner. He's working in his life. He's blessing him every day. He gives him breath to breathe. (laughs) He he, sustains his life. Demonstrates to him the, the Wisdom of righteousness, the folly of evil. He lets every day, every human being gets a sermon from God. They they eat at the pig's trough. They cavort with the devil. They feast. But wisdom cries in the streets. God is speaking to people every day. People are so drunk with sin that they're not hearing. And he's longed for his boy. And he sees him and he runs. And he rejoices. The boy smelled. Do you think he came home? He hadn't enough to eat. He's eating pig food. Do you think he had? He anointed himself and so on? He's been walking a great distance. Sweaty and smelly and disheveled and unkempt. Father kissed him. He will have picked up bad manners, bad habits. He's going to need all kinds of retraining. We'll get to that later. For now, fling this robe on him. You know, ring, signet. This is identity. Shoes, this is dignity. Let's rejoice. 
We'll sort everything out later. Let's have a party. Some party. Music and dancing. They weren't Mennonites, eh, brother? Celebrating. It wouldn't have been unclean down here, but celebrating, rejoicing. As raised from the dead. The servants amazed. Wow, the new master was generous. Didn't realize this generous. Get a load of this, brother. <laughs> you know. And the older son was angry. And the father came out and entreated him. He didn't give him an angry lecture. He entreated him. The older brother was resentful. <laughs> These many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. My son, give me thy heart. His father would say to him, give me thy heart. It's dutiful son. The one son... I wish you were dead now, Dad, so I could have the inheritance. But since you're not, give it to me. Off I go. The other son, I'll wait it out dutifully until you do drop dead. Then it'll all be mine. Awful. The ingratitude. This is a small picture of how God forgives. Even with this boy with problems at home. He came out and entreated him, son. Thou art ever with me. He points out to him the obvious. How is it that we can live every day something and not see it? It's just so absorbed in his own mind. He couldn't see the goodness of God. This older son. Resentful. Had it all and had nothing. Matthew is telling us about that Nepali man who had nothing and had it all. Couldn't even sing. Didn't even have a voice, but he was happy. <laughs> no wife? Is he married? Unmarried? Unwealthy? Is that a word? <laughs> happy in Jesus. Has Christ, has everything. Brethren, this is how we forgive. This is how we forgive. We see the heart has turned. And in fact, and this is what I do with some, I can think of some folks who have done me some wrong things. And I can only assume that you just don't realize what they've done. But I work it out. I know that, brother. I know that if he realized what he had done, he'd be really sorry. So I'm just going to take that now. And <laughs> we're good. Right? Isn't that the way? Uh, just tender hearted. How can you express it? Your heart melts for them. You have compassion. You're more concerned that your brother's not doing well, your sister's not doing well, which is why she or he has done this deed. And you just, oh Lord, you know our frame. Help so and so to be like you. Not, you know, some people, <laughs> so selfish, right? We pray that God will fix so-and-so so that we can suffer less with their ill, you know, behavior or something. Give me the grace to 
you know, love so-and-so, we reveal how bankrupt we are of Christ. The Lord Jesus, oh, he loves. And this is what the apostle is saying, that life's in you, let it out, line your soul up with it. Say yes. You know what the key is? Is your will. Even that crippled man, the Lord Jesus came to him and said, Wilt thou be made whole? A plague on these modern translations. Do you want to be made well? Will you? This is a confrontation of Jesus. Will you be made whole? I'm here to make you whole. Will you have it? This is Jesus. Here's a test of him. And he says, rise up and walk. And the man's will responded to God. And the life of God came into him. And you and I have to align our wills. Be kind, tender hearted. That evil thing that somebody's done to you. You've got to look at God. Yes, Lord. I'll have your tender heartedness flood my being. Towards that one. Yes, Lord. I will. That's a thing. I'll be like this. Because this is in me. Hallelujah. So I'm going to embrace it. I'm not clinging back and reaching back to that old, carnal, evil, miserable Adam. Deformed through sin. That old flesh. Lord, I embrace this new life that embraced me. Lord, this is how you greeted me. It's how I'll greet every brother, every sister. Hmm? Like the uh, parable of the man uh, whose servant, I don't know how much, had wasted a billion dollars or something. Some astounding amount of money. He frankly forgave him. And that's what the apostle says. Be kind, tender hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do it because God's forgiven you, and do it the same way God's forgiven you. Not stingy, not miserly, not exacting, not slow, but with a big, oh, yes, brother, of course there's nothing between us. Right? Isn't that what happened to Cory Ten Boom? You remember Cory Ten Boom? Uh, teenage girl, I think, when her dad was... Um, uh, hiding Jews from the Nazis. And they were discovered and she went to, uh, was it Auschwitz she went to? One of the concentration camps and she survived. And afterwards she was speaking at some conference, a German uh, believer now who had been a Nazi soldier and had tortured her, mistreated her in the concentration camp. Isn't this? Stuck out her hand, will you forgive me? After a hold of it, I forgive you, brother. Two of them jumping, rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine the evil that she endured. I forgive you. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now this, this phrase, oh, this is lovely. We've got a bit of warmth here. 
Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Let's um, look that passage there. Be therefore followers of God. Look a little bit at the Sermon on the Mount, shall we? Matthew chapter 5. At the end of chapter 5. Right? Verse 44. I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, the scriptures lay out, and the Jews believed, that... uh, God was angry with a sinner every day. But wrath came upon the wicked. Punishment. The justice of God. But the Lord here is addressing the fact that while they are sinning and acquiring debts and their wickedness as, um, as Sodom's is ascending to heaven, God was giving them the same sunshine that he gave to Abraham. The Sodomites, when God shined in, thought, well, you're good, so I'm just going to bless you and give you a fruitful field, and I'm just going to shut them in darkness. He's pointing out that God has given the sunlight to all men, the good and the evil, because um, he's doing good to men, generously, because he's good. That's the um, aspect of God that's in view here. He's not addressing the justice of God, wherein God must judge judge the world and punish the wicked. That's not our job. I mean, we do have to judge some things and deal with some things. But he's pointing out that God gives generously to everybody. Sends the rain. And how foolish it is to assume that uh, somebody is... Righteous because they're doing well or unrighteous because they are being um, suffering. This was the problem with Job's friends, right? (laughs) They assumed that he had sinned. So that's the comparison. But look what the Lord describes here. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you. That ye may be in actual fact. The children of your father which is in heaven. Now this isn't a law that the Lord is giving. Got to do this. Got to do that. Okay so let's see. What does it say? Love your enemies. Alright. Okay. How do we do that? Bless them that curse you. Okay so this guy cursed me. I bless you. I hope you do well. Okay I've done that. Now what else? Um. 
pray for him. Okay, Lord, I, I pray for that man. You know how wicked he is and how deserving of hell and damnation, but I pray. Some law. The Lord is describing a fountain. James puts it this way. You know, talking about the tongue. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place bitter water and sweet? No, that's the answer. You've got this fountain. And the Lord is saying, this is what it's like. You've got this fountain of goodness. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men at the annunciation of Christ. You've got this fountain of goodness. This well of water springing up into everlasting life. Goodwill toward men. Them that hate you. Them that love you. Them that care. Them that don't. You're just a fountain of blessing and goodwill. And prayers for and kind acts to. Be ye followers of God, doing good to all, because this fountain of goodness is in you. That's what he's saying. It's not this, okay, we've got to do this, got to do this, we're working our way to heaven, we're going to do this, some good works. We got to... He's not saying that. Of course, you, you should do way more good works than that, because you've got a fountain of good works. Anyone that gets near you gets wet with your goodness, right? Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what he's saying. Oh, let all flesh be gone. This should be working in our homes, in our marriages. Husbands and wives, you should just be wetting each other with love. Goodness. I guess that's a bit of a graphic. I mean, a water bottle fight, you know, I can... Maybe you don't like that kind of thing. But, you know, it's just... Should, goodness should just be splashing from each of you to each of you all the time. And with the children. Goodness. Been... Uh, yeah, meditating on those things. Lord, examine myself. Think of one of a child here or a child there. Lord, yeah. I don't think I've been dealing with that, right? I won't be like you, Lord, dwell in me. Change. Even on how you address problems in the home. For some, you know, we all have our different personalities. I came from a relative... I, I, didn't, I didn't get it at all. I was a teenager. I was visiting my dad in Jamaica. My parents had separated for a season. They went back and forth a little bit before they finally divorced. And my dad was back in Jamaica. And I'd gone to visit him as a teenager. I was 15. And uh, he still had to work. So I was, he was living in a hotel... And so I was visiting, I guess, with some of the hotel guests at the pool or the bar or something while my dad was at work. And my dad had come home and he greeted me and said something to me and went back upstairs. I don't know if he told me to come up for supper or what it was. And this kind American man, I mean, when I say kind, from what I saw, what I remember, said, your dad seems really stern austere, stern, something like that. And I couldn't for life of me figure out what he was on about. It was just dad. This was normal. I said, Dec- over the decades, I've reflected on those things that compare Canadian society. We all be different, you know. We all have different starting points. Some parents, you know, they, they need to toughen up a bit <laughs> for their children's good. Some of us need to soften up a bit. But these things should work in the home. I come from a, like I was saying, a stern background. My mom, my mom was, she was a tough lady. 
I was glad. I mean, five boys, you know. She would have never survived with five boys in Jamaica. She wasn't a tough lady. But she let us do all kinds of dangerous things that I won't let my children do. Um, she said, boys have to be boys. I just don't have to be there to see it. So she, <laughs> she would go and hope we lived. Um, but she could be tough, you know. Come on, boy. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Made us stronger. But uh, we want to be always being conformed to Christ. Right? That's the thing. Conformed to Christ. And so in our homes, in our homes, in, even when there's misbehavior to correct, there should be goodwill coming forth. Goodwill. All the time. Goodwill. That's what the Lord is saying here. Goodwill. Love your enemies. Those that curse you, you're blessing them. Um, those that despitefully use you, you realize that they are in bad shape and you're praying for them. Because this is what God is like and this is what his children are like. Uh, and if you just pally-wally with uh, them that love you, even the publicans and, and the, uh, the, you know, the extortioners, the criminals are doing this. So you be perfect even as your father in heaven. This is what the apostle is writing to us. Followers of God as dear children. So we've got this great, tender, forgiving heart. We've got this fountain of goodwill towards men constantly flowing out. And now he says in verse 2, chapter 5, and walk in love. Those are just preparatory things. Tender hearted, yes, forgiving. Uh, goodwill towards charity. Walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us. Now here... <laughs> Synecdoche, right? Here we have, synecdoche works both ways. The part for the whole and the whole for the part. So here, Christ gave himself for us. Walk in love even as Christ gave himself for us. Well, I'll die for you, brother. Well, that's <laughs> some nebulous time in the future if it comes to it. But what about the here and now? It's talking about everything leading up to that. Everything leading up to that. Walk in love as Christ loved. The time would fail. We can look at it. As Christ loved us. And the culmination of the, that was him giving himself for us. We have said it. You're probably tiring of me saying it. The, the, um, the passage in John chapter 1. Where Nathanael being told, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus, Nazareth. Right? He said, shall any good thing, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This is a Newfoundland of Israel. Nazareth. The butt of all the jokes. <laughs> I think, uh, oh no, I think in Ireland it would be called a Kerryman. But, you know, the Irish are the butt of the English jokes, right, brother? But the Kerrymen are the butt of the Irish jokes. Like that is the Irish of the Irish, right? Remember Fred had a mug and uh, the handle was on the inside of the mug. And on the outside it said, this is an authentic Irish mug. 
course, Fred's British, right? So, Fred Thompson. It's a joke, you know. A loving tease, I trust. He would have had Irish brethren. The Lord heard this insult. Supernaturally revealed. And what he thought is, what an honest guy. Unpretentious, doesn't put on airs. Happy to meet him. Brethren, this wasn't forced. This wasn't put on. This is love. He's seeing the good in this brother. Behold, a real Jew. Israelite indeed. Love one another. Can we love every brother, every sister like that? And then overflow into the world. Look at, uh, look at this here in, in Luke. Luke chapter 5, right? So Peter's a new disciple. He's met the Lord before, right? He was a disciple of John the Baptist. They were there, I, I presume it was at the Passover. And uh, John is baptizing and he points out Christ and they go and they spend a day with him. But then the the festival season ends. The Lord goes off to his temptation in the wilderness. They return to to Galilee at some point. Back to their jobs. And they're fishing. They're They're not as I thought, when 16, first time I read the Gospels. They're not strangers. Jesus says, follow me, and they just drop everything and follow this stranger. They, they had a history. They knew who he was. But he's borrowed Simon's boat, and he says to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And I know preachers have made the distinguishing, the, the, they've distinguished between the Lord's command to let down the nets, plural, and Peter saying, Master, we've toiled all the night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net, singular. And he lets down one net, and that breaks and, and all of that. And they, they were amazed. The both, both boats began to sink. Do you understand that? Uh, the word sink there doesn't mean they're going under. But they settled in the water. Right? They, the boat, they didn't lose the boats. The boats were just so full that they, they, um, they, the weight of the fish was so much that you could see the, the gunnels go down closer to the water's edge. And uh, they got everything to land. You don't get a sunk boat to land. They got it all to land. But Peter, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter was convicted at his unbelief, right? And his snide remark to the Lord, Lord, we're the experts. We've been fishing all night. But just to humor you, we'll do this. Right? You know the kind of attitude? It's not really that humble obedience. It's a bit of a... And now when it happened, he's confronted and convicted of his unbelief and his attitude. And he's smitten. Now this wasn't gross wickedness. This wasn't some unmentionable sin. These are the subtle things of the heart. The unbelief. The attitude. And he's convicted of it. He realizes how carnal it is, how sinful, how ungodly. He falls at Jesus' feet. Depart from me. 
Now, this was a golden opportunity for the Lord to have a few choice words. To really drive the point home. Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. Instantaneous, right? This is love. You see, it's, well, that's forgiveness. Yeah, of course, the two are not, not far from each other. Never mind. Comforting. Never mind. Look at the leper right there in the same passage. Gets a hold of him. I will be thou clean. What about, um, let's go towards the end and coming close to, to the Lord's crucifixion. We'll, we'll mention, as we have and in the recent memory, this, this rich young ruler, remember? Good master, what good thing shall I do before, that I may have eternal life? And Jesus, you know the commandments. I've kept these. If you will be perfect, sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Come, take up the cross and follow me. And he went away sad. And, you know, this was a very loving thing the Lord did. He guarded the man's dignity. He didn't expose the man as a hypocrite, which he was. As covetous, which he was. As hard-hearted and without compassion to the many poor that were around him. Which he was. The Lord didn't expose him to the crowd for that. And he could because his disciples had forsaken all and followed him. His disciples were poor. He looked at them and said, blessed be ye poor. Here you have this rich man diligently trying to have all the good stuff of this world. And still do enough good works to get to heaven. And Jesus instead of calling him out. Gives him an opportunity to privately look at his own heart. And be honest with himself. Isn't that love brethren? And how much more should we be jealous for the dignity of our brother and our sister? Not expose them to shame, to embarrassment, to ridicule. Be kind, tender hearted. If your brother or sister has done something, like they're, you know, they're at fault, they're worthy to be. But to be jealous for their, their, um, their dignity. Be kind, tender hearted. Walk in love as. Christ loved us, gave himself for us. Zacchaeus, we've looked at this one in recent memory as well. We won't stop there. All of these, these are so well worn. It's like our gospels, but we do well to remind ourselves of them. The Lord says in Luke 22, With desire, 
I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took bread and gave thanks. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. This is the cup. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And there was a strife among them which of them should be counted the greatest. Brethren, is that not shocking to you? Isn't this other than the Garden of Gethsemane? And we'll get to that. Isn't this the most tender and vulnerable and sharing of precious things? And they're just like, they just, it's like you give your most precious whatever vase to somebody and they toss it in the trash, your rose and they trample. It's just, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? They are so in their own space, so preoccupied with their own things. That they are indifferent to this tender outreach of love from the Lord Jesus. What a slight, what an insensitive injury. And the Lord says, look, this is how the Gentiles do it, but not you. He's so kind with them. Not as he had to do with the Pharisees looked round about upon them with anger for the hardness of their hearts. But gently. That's not the way. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. And there in the garden. Watch and pray with me. Sleeping, sleeping. And then at the end, all right, never mind, sleep on now, take your rest. (laughs) He said, stay, watch and pray with me. Comes back, finds him sleeping, chides him. Couldn't you stay one hour? Goes back to pray. Comes again, they're sleeping. Three times he's told them to watch and pray. Comes back, they're still sleeping. Says, all right, well, never mind, I've taken care of it without you. Let's go. He loved them. And this is what John said. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And he he gave himself a sacrifice. He was crucified. Ponder a little at this. Um, This phrase of the apostle. He's, He's drawing on the Old Testament. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. We've looked at a few instances of how And brethren, he's done that to us. He suffered our manners. Our lives before Christ and afterwards. The self-centeredness. The self-indulgence. How many things, in how many ways have we neglected the Lord who loved us. And he doesn't come with some guilt trip and just beat us down. He, He wants to lift us into the life of God. The very way he dealt with the apostles in the days of his flesh, so has he dealt with us from the throne. Kindly guiding us in our lives, blessing us, when we have slighted him and forgotten about it. He hasn't hasn't reminded us of our every failing or every... He's just forgiven and he's just taking us on unto perfection. 
He's saying, be like that with one another. He said this to you, he did that to you, but he's forgotten it now, but he's different now. So you've forgotten it now, and you just rejoice in where he's at. You see, this is the whole game. We're not settling scores and keeping ledgers and ready to... There's going to be a day of reckoning, and I'm waiting for it, you know. It's not like that at all. It's just this overflowing love. Goodwill. Love one another. Rejoice in goodness, you know. Not got the list in the back pocket, ready to, just ready to settle a score, you know. Not at all. <clears throat> Loved us and gave himself for us. You know, you're praying for your brother and your sister is part of giving yourself for them. You're giving yourself to God for them. You're taking time out of other pursuits because you care for them. Yes, they're not doing well. Yes, they may have slighted you and they're oblivious and wronged you and so on. But you, you're just so happy that they are a child of God and have forsaken all the wickedness of the the old life. And yeah, they've got some warts and wrinkles just like we all do. And you're just so happy that they're the Lord's. You come apart and Lord, thank you for the work you've done for so-and-so. I pray you'd bless them in this, in the area of need in their life. And, And Lord, remember these other practical things and you're just, you're giving yourself for them. Because that's what Christ did for us. He was in the garden. He, he went through it all to, so that we could partake of his life. And when we're praying for some who've done us wrong, we're praying that they could partake of his life as well. He gave himself for us. We're giving ourselves for our brethren. See, Walk in love. Give yourself for your brother. Of course you're there to help them with their practical needs and so on. But it's this giving, laying down of our lives. One for another. First among the brethren, but to all men. Praying for the lost. Time that could be spent selfishly, spent on others. An offering and a sacrifice to God. A sweet-smelling savor. This, uh, this warrants a, a sermon, a series on its own. But one of the things this does tell us, brethren, is that those places in the Old Testament, there are many, we can look at a few, where it uses that phrase, a sweet-smelling savor. Sweet savor, sacrifice. They all speak of Christ. There's so much instruction. There's the lamb. There's the bullock. There's the fine flour mingled with oil. These are all Christ. Fine flour mingled with oil. You know, you think of what is flour. It's what you make bread from. What is bread? The bread of life. The fine details of Christ's life. I don't know what the technology was. If he brushed his teeth, every detail of his life, mingled with oil, the Spirit of God, it was all sanctified and lived in the Holy Ghost, offered to God. Fine details. He wants to do that in us. Oh, Lord, lift me from all my shortfallings and those things. 
all the fine details of our lives can be infused with Christ. The Lamb we know, the innocent, sinless, spotless one offered to atone for sin. But the bullock, the servant of the Lord, the labor, all of the work. These all speak of Christ, the incense. All of these sweet smelling savors. The apostle talks about um, uh, he's encouraging the Philippians. I have all abound, you know, the, the offering, a sweet smelling savor. What was it? They'd sent him some supplies. But it represented, remember we've mentioned repeatedly the economy of those times. And what a sacrifice it was. It wasn't just the stuff. It was the love and the labor and the self-denial that was involved in sending these things to minister to Paul. So that he could take the gospel to others. So he himself could survive. And he's saying this was a sweet smelling savor. This was a part, a small part of that. He'd write to the Corinthians that we are made a, you know, a savor of Christ. And to, in them that are saved and in them that are lost. Think of that a smell. Now, it's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. Because, and somebody help me if I've got this wrong. I don't think burning animal carcasses actually smell very good to us as people. Am I right with that? It doesn't really. We're not talking about... Um, doing what do they do does it steak or something were they in these barbecues and they have apple chips that they burn and what kind of meat do they do with that this smoke is it salmon that they do you got these apple chips and these barbecues i've never done it but i've heard about it no we're all i guess we're all just not connoisseurs that's a good thing but it's not that where you get this flavor you know these animal sacrifices i don't think this was like a perfume shop it was the, what it represented. We see it uh, first in Genesis uh, chapter 8. Verse uh, 21, I think. This is after the flood. Verse 20, And Noah builded an altar... Unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I've done. Now, this is a, a, an extended um, metaphor, an allegory here, right? So the world, the wickedness, judgment, the ark is Christ. Noah found grace, is salvation by faith, well, through faith, right? By grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Come into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous. And he was saved because he believed and he was saved by the grace of God. He was declared righteous by grace. He obeyed. It was the obedience of faith. And at the end of it, there are these sacrifices. It all speaks of Christ. The ark speaks of Christ. These sacrifices, every clean fowl, every clean animal. He'd taken sevens of them. 
And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. It wasn't the literal aroma that was sweet. It was that it spoke of Christ right here with the redemption of Noah and his family and a new creation. The Lord is looking at that day where Christ himself would offer himself for us. A sweet smelling savor. And through that offering would save us from the wrath that is deserved for wickedness. I was meditating a little bit on that. Uh, this whole thing of smell. It's a strange thing. One of the things about smell. When you smell it. It's satisfying. It's, it's a phenomenon. You go into a house. And the dinner's on. And they fill the house with a smell. That, just, it, that smells good. Somehow. It doesn't just make you feel deprived and hungry. We've all had hunger pains. I hope we have. You've eaten too much if you've never felt hungry. But um, that even if we're hungry and looking forward to the meal, there's something satisfying to ourselves emotionally. But, you know, going to a bakery or something, just the smell. How God has made us with these um, senses and features to give us a sense of what he's like. It was a satisfying inhalation of an expression of love, of sacrifice. And it was pleasing and satisfying to God. And what Christ Jesus did on the cross, he gave himself. John writes that uh, he is the propitiation for our sins. He has fully satisfied the just requirements of God for damnation and punishment of the wicked. Not only that, he offered and manifested such a loving, redemptive quality that is pleasing to God. It's a sweet-smelling savor. How can we put it? We don't have time just now. We're going to have communion. Do you remember Joseph and his brethren? Do you remember before he revealed himself, when he was still acting the tough uh, um, ruler of Egypt? And he's, got, he's going to keep Benjamin now. And his brothers had learned their lesson. And Judah comes forward on his face and entreats. How can you read that passage without tears? Take me and let my brother go. His father will it'll just kill him. The love, the sacrifice. It's a picture of Christ. He gave himself for us. It's an expression of love. It's not only the, the legal requirement, so to speak. The, the just nature of God that... Righteousness and mercy can both be reconciled together whereby there has been a, uh, an appeasement and a punishment and, and a sin bearer. All of those things. But it's such an expression of love. That the righteous and the, the completely self-sufficient and, and, and uh, one with no need but only riches should lay it all aside and, and give himself 
with such love for those who are in such need and so ignorant. And that expression is such a satisfying savor to God. Am I expressing this in a way that we can get it? It's, and it's, the, the, the sense of smell is a picture. It's like you can... So sweet, so satisfying. That expression of the love that was in Christ is so satisfying to God. It's not only the, the, the redemption. It's not only, you know, exacted is the legal pain. It takes a mind like Wesley to write a line like that. Exacted is the legal pain, you know. And he, he um, lays out in such beautiful poetry the, the um, effectiveness Judicially of the sacrifice of Christ. That's not only what's going on there. And then the, 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 the practicality of him bearing the sins away from the people. That's not the only thing going on there either. It's the expression of love. Do you see it? That he who had no sin, had no need, would come and take it all and redeem these monsters of iniquity, these rebels, these ungrateful rebels, these foolish, foolhardy, unthinking people, and, and by so giving himself, redeem them. That's such a satisfying thing to God. So pleasing, smell the sweet smelling savor. That ascends is the most satisfying experience. That's what Christ did for us, and that's what we're called to be partakers of that divine nature. A sweet smelling savor. Uh, people who are partaking of that very same divine life of God. And it is as if can use this weak metaphor but it's the, the Lord used it God smells it and it's so satisfying to him that that life of Christ is in you you give yourself the same way God gave Christ for us that same way that Christ gave himself for us walked in love that we walk in that life and it's a sweet smelling savor to God. It's a living sacrifice. It's a wonderful aroma to God and man. It edifies the brethren. It wins the lost. It's just this glorious, indescribable love of God flowing out of our souls to all around us. Isn't it glorious, brethren? Doesn't it make you want to run with all your might this race that's set before us? So very far from being a rigorous system of rules, it's a, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Life. This is what we're called unto. It's a feast. It's a banquet. And it's all ours through him who gave himself for us. Let's, uh, let's remember him. I think uh, just I'll, I'll pray. We'll, uh, we'll remember the Lord's death. Have the communion. You'll have a song ready, Matthew.
for us. Uh,